Good morning, my beloved family and friends in Christ. And for friends who are visiting with us, welcome to this worship service with us this morning. I'm actually really glad to be with you all here this morning. For some of you, you know that I was kind of sick the whole of this past week. And even in the midst of my sickness, I was still looking forward to being here with God's people this morning. Today we shall continue looking at the book of 1 Samuel, found in the Old Testament. It's my intent that we slowly make our way through the first seven chapters of this book in six messages, focusing on the prophet Samuel, the prophet from God's grace. We have covered 1 Samuel chapter 1 to 2 in the previous two messages, and for today we will cover chapter 3 and part of the first verse of chapter 4. This portion of scripture tells us of our God disclosed, our God who graciously makes himself known. Before we get into today's message, let us pray. Make the book live to me, O Lord. Show me yourself within your word. Show me myself and show me my need for my Savior and make the book live to me. For Jesus' sake, Amen. Have you ever experienced thirst? Have you ever had a dryness in your throat that calls out for a drink? I mean, have you ever desperately needed a drink of water? One American man really experienced thirst. Picture this. Day two of his trip in the blazing Utah desert, Dave Baschow was in a bad shape. Pale, wracked by cramps, his speech slurred. The 25-year-old man from New Jersey was desperate for water. And he was hallucinating so badly, he mistook a tree for a person. Imagine that. After going roughly 10 hours without a drink, in the scorching 40 degrees heat, he finally dropped dead of thirst, face down in the dirt. Less than 100 meters from his goal, a cave with a pool of water. Thirst is a natural bodily response. Thirst tells us we need water, and you can die from a lack of water. However, the situation for the nation of Israel was even more urgent. They were suffering from a spiritual thirst. There was a drought of God's word in the land. And yet, and yet, in the midst of this situation, God starts his work. God was graciously beginning to make himself known to his people by his word. So if you have your Bibles, please open to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. And follow with me as I read the entire passage for us. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The Lamb of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then 
the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel, he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him, I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me, all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Bathsheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. You know, in order to fully appreciate what is happening here, we need to understand the context of today's passage. Think back, remember the books of First and Second Samuel cover the lives of Samuel, Saul, and David. The time period in history for today's passage is near the end of the period of the judges. It's during the difficult transition time into a time of the kings of Israel. It was a dark and difficult period. For the people of Israel, this is a difficult time. The people had repeatedly turned away from God. They rebelled, they sinned against God, and they did what was right in their own eyes. As a result, the enemies surrounding their land opposed and oppressed them as part of God's judgment against His people's sin. They really needed good leaders during this time 
But we saw how the high priest Eli's sons, Hopni and Peneus, in chapter 2, they were indifferent in their faith, unholy and worthless. There was no hope in their religious leaders. Yet God does not abandon His people. God is there with them. And we saw glimpses of this in the previous two messages. We saw how God works in the life of Hannah, Samuel's mother, reversing her barrenness and giving her a son. We saw the birth of Samuel and Samuel's dedication to God and to service in the house of God at Shiloh. We saw how God's deliverance in small ways in the life of one family reflected His plans in big ways to deliver His people. In delivering a barren woman from her distress, God works out His plan to deliver His people. Even when judgment was announced on the house of Eli, we saw God's grace in the life of Samuel and how he grew in the presence of God. God was preparing Samuel to be a prophet of his grace to his people. And then we come to today's passage. You know, if you read good novels, good novels in the first scene, the very first scene, will introduce the main character and set before us the problem at hand. Likewise, opening verse in verse 1 sets the focus of the passage for today. And again, we see the main character, Samuel. Samuel is now an older boy, serving God under the supervision of the high priest Eli. And what is the problem facing God's people? And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. We need to understand that a vision is one of the ways God communicates His word to a prophet. God is not speaking His word through His prophets except on very rare occasions. There is a drought of God's word during this period of time. And why is it God's word is so rare during this time? Most likely, if you remember, this is because the nation of Israel at this time stood under God's wrath. Perhaps, as we saw previously, this was because of the corrupted priestly leadership. The absence of God's word, the absence of God's word, is a sign of God's judgment. God is withdrawing the refreshing spring of His word, the refreshing springs of His word, and allowing Israel to wander in the parched desert she apparently prefers. There is spiritual drought on the land. It is in the midst of this difficult and extremely urgent situation that God shows His grace. God graciously makes Himself known. God discloses Himself in His calling and in His judgment. God graciously reveals Himself to Samuel and calls him. And God reveals Himself in His judgment on the house of Eli. You know, as a student in Southern Seminary in the, in the U.S., I took a pastoral ministry class with this professor, Dr. Herschel York. He was born and bred in Kentucky, located in the southern part of the US. So think cowboy state. Okay? And he was the senior pastor of Buck Run Baptist Church. Buck Run Baptist Church. I mean, how sudden sounding a name is that? 
And I remember one day he came to class with his cowboy boots and his black suit. And he had this serious look on his face like he meant business. Okay? And he's a, not a small man, he's quite a big man. So he walked over to the first row of seats in the classroom. He towered over us, his students, in a loud, commanding voice. He said, Man, now he had a deep, booming voice. Expects to be heard. If there's anything, anything at all you remember from this class, remember your call to ministry. And for emphasis, he thumbed the table. He stressed the importance of knowing that you have been called to ministry by God and how that will persevere, that will help you persevere when the going gets tough. The author of 1 Samuel also taught that it was important to record Samuel's call to ministry by God. And this is what we see in verses 2 to 10. God's call of the boy Samuel is the key point of these verses. God is graciously making himself known to Samuel. And he begins with a short little note, a time note in verse 2, at that time. And then proceeds to tell us where Eli was. He was lying in his own place just outside the main hall of the temple. And he details the poor state of his eyesight, perhaps also reflecting his lack of spiritual uh, sight. Then it tells us that the tabernacle lamp is still burning. You know, this lamp is actually lit between dusk and dawn. So this tells us that this incident actually occurred in the early mornings, early hours of the mornings. And it gives us the location of Samuel's sleeping quarters within the temple. You know, all this really sounds like minor details, but when you finally get to verse 4, verse 4, it gives us the main verb. This verb, then, it gives us the main verb highlighting the main action of this section. Then the Lord called Samuel. Then the Lord called Samuel. The verb calls occurs 11 times in verses 4 to 10, leaving us no doubt about the key idea of this passage. God is calling Samuel. You know, and if you're like me, when you're actually preparing for to teach or preach, you read the passage slowly and carefully. And if you read like me, you, read, you may wonder, Duh, Samuel, why are you so slow? You know? And you wonder if God's call will actually succeed. Apparently, God's call was so clear and so audible and so loud that Samuel mistook it took it repeatedly for Eli. And here was Eli actually asleep outside the main hall of the temple. Samuel seems willing enough and seems eager enough to obey. But why is that that he's so slow to understand what is happening? Why is he such an expert in totally missing the point? Verse 7, verse 7 tells us why. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. This statement explains, but does not blame. The point is, up to now, Samuel has not yet had any direct experience of God. He had no prior practice at receiving God's word. So it's not surprising he was confused at God's call. And he mistook God's call for Eli calling him. And finally, when understanding dawns on Eli in verse 8, he tells Samuel, and everything fell in place. But what do these verses hold for us? I mean, for Christians today, 
We are not called to receive direct revelation from God as Samuel was. We are in no way prophets as Samuel was to be a prophet. If, however, we understand that Scripture is God telling us about God, Scripture is God telling us about God, we can try a different approach. What? We can ask, how do verses 2 to 10 reveal our God? How do verses 2 to 10 reveal our God? Once we see what Scripture reveals about God, we usually see how it applies to us. And what do we see? We see the grace, we see the kindness, we see the patience of God. God first reaches out to Samuel. He initiates the first step. He calls out to Samuel. And God is kind and patient. He's in no apparent hurry. He gives Samuel time to catch on. He does not scold Samuel for being slow. No, and it's not like a people Singaporean. He does not launch into complaining how Samuel never ever seems to get anything right. Here with Samuel, we have a glimpse of who God is. He's gracious, he's kind, and he is patient. This describes Samuel's God and ours. And believers who tend to cast God into this mental graven image of a graph, efficient, impatient drill sergeant need to know this. Our God is a gracious God who first reveals himself to us and waits in kindness and patience for us to turn to him. Do you see God as gracious and kind? Samuel finally comes before God and God speaks to him in verse 11. And what does God tell him? God communicates to the boy Samuel an ear-tingling word. Usually when this ear-tingling is mentioned, it, it, means, imply, it actually implies coming judgment. And God actually confirms what God said to Eli, to the man of God in chapter 2. God is about to activate his threatened judgment against Eli's house from start to finish. This is because Eli's son, whom Eli has not restrained, keep on taking God lightly and treating him with contempt. They, you see in verse 13, were blaspheming God. Hence, they have placed themselves beyond forgiveness. Verse 14. It was a message of judgment, of severe, irreversible judgment. Now imagine Samuel thinking, oh no, how was he to tell Eli that? Naturally, there would be no problem if Samuel did not have to pass on this word. But Samuel knew better and he feared and was anxious at having to tell Eli. Verse 15. And we can understand why. You see, some affection had no doubt developed between Eli and Samuel. We see Eli calling Samuel my son in verses 6 and verses 16. However, Eli saved Samuel a great deal of trouble. He placed Samuel under a curse if Samuel did not fully reveal all that God has spoken to him. We see this in verse 17. Thereby forcing Samuel under that threat to hold nothing back. We see in verse 18. Samuel told Eli everything. And what was Eli's response? Eli accepted God's judgment saying, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. He accepts God's judgment as good. 
you know, you can tell a lot about a man not only from what he likes, but also from what he dislikes. If you find out he, uh, this man actually disliked dishonest, shady dealings in his business, then you can have with some confidence say that he is an honest businessman. Here we see God's judgment on sin. And God not only disliked sin, He is angry at sin. He's angry at sin. He tells us of the holy character of God. Eli's two sons, Hopni and Peneus, have continued in their unrepentant blaspheming of God. And Eli had persistently turned a blind eye. There is serious sin among the religious leaders of Israel. And God takes sin seriously. God has pronounced judgment to come upon the house of Eli. Sin, you see, my friend, is a serious insult to a holy God, especially more so by those who are supposed to represent Him as His religious leaders. And God brings His judgment upon their sin. Do you see God as holy? Do you take sin seriously? Now, I remember an article about bringing fresh, clean water to poor people in impoverished nations who cannot afford it. I recall a picture taken of a girl drinking her first mouthful of clean water. The expression was that of delight and joy. You get satisfaction from quenching your thirst on refreshing waters. And look back on 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, where it describes a scarcity of God's word. The nation of Israel was suffering from spiritual thirst. There was a drought of God's word in the land. And what happens at the end of 1 Samuel 3? 1 Samuel 3, 19 to 1 Samuel 4, verse 1, tells us God graciously reveals himself and there is abundance of God's word. We see that after Samuel's encounter and calling by God, Samuel continues to grow. And every word that Samuel spoke was fulfilled. God ensured that none of his words fell to ground. None of his words fell to the ground. Verse 19. As a result, you know, if we imagine Israel as Singapore, all the land from woodlands in the north to Marina Bay in the south, all of Israel knew that Samuel was called of God to be his prophet. Verse 20. And they acknowledge him as such. God appears again in the house of God at Shiloh, for God graciously disclosed himself to Samuel by the word of God. And Samuel continues to receive revelation of God's word. Verse 21. And these refreshing waters of God's word flowed out to all Israel as Samuel continues to declare God's word to God's people. Amazing, we see here, we move from a scarcity at the start of the chapter, scarcity of God's word, to abundance of God's word at the end of the chapter. Israel's spiritual thirst is quenched by God's refreshing word. Joy and delight returns to the land. So what has this got to do with us modern day Christian? Some of you may think, yes, but the word of God cannot be rare now, right? Cannot be rare anymore. Because now the church has his complete word, the Bible, in writing. We have the scripture. So we do not worry, need to worry about that. Wrong. What makes the word of God rare? In Eli's day, it was because God was not giving it frequently. 
But you see, my friends, God's word can become rare because of the problems on the receiving end. Our ears and hearts are dull. We lack the appetite. As Pastor Dale Ralph Davis writes, starvation may come. Starvation may not come from absence of food. Starvation may not come from absence of food, but from lack of appetite. You get that. Starvation may not come from absence of food, but from a lack of appetite. But God's word, written, preached, welcome, is a token of God's grace to God's people. How is your appetite for God's word? Do you welcome God's grace of his word? What are you really thirsting for? God graciously makes himself known to his people by his word. And in response, Christians should desire for the word of God, for it's by the word of God that we can know God. So what does it mean for us as individuals, as church, and for missions? As individuals, you and I should ask God to increase our appetite for His Word. We already have God's complete Word in writing, the Scripture. And if you and I are honest about it, it's not as if that God's Word is actually rare in our times in Singapore. Ask yourself, how many printed copies of the Bible do you have? For those of you who have been to my office, I have several. Many of us have laptops and computers, and we can easily access free Bible software or a website online. And most of us have smartphones. Now, don't try to hide your smartphone now. There are Bible apps, Bible apps which can easily be installed. We have abundance of God's Word. And yet, God's Word may be rare among us because of our lack of appetite for the Word of God. Be honest with yourself. Does this reflect your situation? If this is so, we should confess our lack of desire for God's Word to God and repent and desperately pray for God to increase our appetite for His Word. What about us as a church? As a church that seeks to be a disciple-making church that transforms lives with the gospel and love of Jesus Christ, we should seek to make the whole of God's Word central in our disciple-making efforts. We should seek to make the whole of God's Word central in our disciple-making efforts. You know, in our contemporary times, where the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself, the church is often seen as therapeutic as a place we go to to fix our problems so that we can be happy and we can feel good about ourselves. Churches can be so busy with activities that seek to meet people's needs and to solve their problems, and we can be totally missing the point. What people need is to have a clearer sight of God, His glory, His majesty. And He has already made Himself known by revealing Himself in His Word. We should seek Him in His thirst-quenching, life-giving Word, written, preached, proclaimed, and welcomed. We should seek Him in the whole of His Word, not just the parts that comfort us in our difficulties and affliction, but also in the parts that confront us of our sins. The whole of God's Word should be central in our disciple-making efforts, for it is in His Word that we have a clearer sight of who God is, and we can grow 
towards godliness. And what about mission? After all, this is uh, Mission Emphasis Month. I remember a couple of days ago when Pastor Arnold saw my outline, he said, you know this is Mission Emphasis Month, right? Are you going to talk about missions? I told him, yes, I'll get there. So I'm getting there. So what about missions? You remember the story of Dave Baschow? I told you at the start of the, this message. It was a tragedy. But it was made even more so if you know the circumstances. You see, Dave Baschow was no solitary soul, lost and alone in a desert. He and 11 other hikers from various walks of life were being led by experts' guide on a wilderness survival adventure designed to test their physical and mental toughness. And the guides, it turned out, were carrying emergency water on that hot and torrid summer day. Baschow wasn't told that. And he wasn't offered any. The guides did not want him to fail the $5,000 course. They wanted him to dig deep, push himself beyond his known limits and to make it to the cave on his own. And Dave Baschow dies from a lack of water. When others around him had water but chose not to offer him any. We as Christians have the life-giving waters of the Word of God. It is the Word of God through which our God has graciously made Himself known. It is the Word of God that points to Jesus Christ as life-giving waters that will quench our true thirst. We have this Word. And are we going to stand by while others die of spiritual thirst? Or are we going to go? Are we going to stand? Are we going to pray for missions? For it's by missions by which the word of God is made known to peoples who do not yet know Him. We should make known the word of God so that God will be known among those who do not yet know Him. And we respond in doing all this because God has first graciously disclosed Himself to us. God has graciously made himself known by revealing himself through his word. And we see that Christ reveals God perfectly. He's the gracious word of God. As our worship song leaders have led us to read from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, Christ clearly and perfectly discloses who God is. It's at the cross of Christ that the holiness and kindness of God meet. At the cross, God's holiness is satisfied and justice met. When Christ suffered God's wrath and judgment in our place for our sins. At the cross, God's loving kindness was demonstrated to us and mercy extended when we were pardoned for our sins. Christ reveals God perfectly. He is the gracious word of God to us and for us. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you are God of abundant grace. You first disclose yourself to us, even when we are not look- we were not looking for you. You are God who chooses to reveal yourself in creation, in your word, and most perfectly in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you will increase our appetite for your word and increase our delight for Jesus. I pray that as a disciple-making church, we will keep your word central in all that we do. 
And finally, I pray that as a church, we will do our part in missions as we take your life-giving, thirst-quenching word of Christ Jesus to those who are thirsty and those who are in need in the world around us so that your people might be built up and edified and that your name might be magnified. In Jesus' name, amen.